And we've been doing a series this month entitled That Church. And I really want you to pay attention to me this morning. Give me your undivided attention. If you're taking notes, take notes. You're probably going to need to. I believe you should. And really hear uh, what the Spirit of the Lord has given to your pastor to speak into this house this morning. I believe the greatest force on the planet, I want you to hear me, the greatest power on the planet is the church, the family of God, the body of Christ who really knows who they are and how they're to function and how to walk out kingdom life and fulfill the purpose of God. I believe it's the greatest power in the earth, far greater than, please hear me, far greater than any military force. That's hard to imagine when they got stealth bombers and all the technology that can knock everything out in a moment's time. I believe far greater than any government system or political system that is upon the planet. It's far greater than the economy. When the economy's at its greatest height, the church that knows how to move in God, knows who they are, knows how to stand as a body, live as a family, and work together with the purpose of God in mind, that church is unstoppable and has been positioned to change the atmosphere, not just the atmosphere, but literally change the whole scenery of the region or the community of which it's been planted. I believe it with all my heart. Why is that pastor? Because you and I have an access into heaven to access and invoke. Listen, have an access to invoke. I think I just keep hearing that word. I'm going to have to look it up and see if I'm really saying it right. I know I got some real educators and scholars in the room. So fact checkers, check me out and help me out later. All right. But to enforce all of the kingdom authority, heaven's authority upon the earth. Supernaturally. Me and Diane last night, one of the things that she's been fasting, I'm not, I'm not as holy as she, but one of the things that she's been fasting is all secular TV. And so she's just watching uh, Christian programming and such as that. And last night there was an old program of Catherine Kuhlman from Oral Roberts University years ago. And it was miracle after miracle after miracle. And we're sitting there and it was so funny watching her move in the way that... Anybody ever know who Catherine Kuhlman is? Yeah, it was so funny. Most of our younger ones don't. But she was a powerhouse of, uh, of God back in the day. And it was so funny watching her minister to people that had never ever encountered the Lord before. And while I was sitting there watching it, we watched it a, a good while an hour and a half program, uh, while we were watching her minister, this is what kept coming to me. God kept, I felt like the Lord was speaking to me. I'm the same today as I was back then. He hasn't changed. He's the same God wanting to do the very same thing, has the same ability and the same power. He wants to do it right now. And I believe God wants to do that through his church but his church have got to get their act together. I'm going to challenge this house for this year. I'm challenging you to get behind me. If you call me pastor, then get with me. Don't chase some other pastor. Come with me. Come with what God has put into this house for us to accomplish and do. It don't take much of a disconnect to throw everything off. Last night, to our notes, I was here praying yesterday afternoon, left a little bit before four. Everything was working good. Our young adults come in. Last night said, Pastor, we don't have any power. I came running down here because I knew that, that it's a complicated system. But here's what was interesting. There was lights on. I asked one of the young men that were here, is lights on in the other building? Because they were back there. Yeah, all the lights are on. We come walking through the building. Yeah, we had lights, but we were only operating at half power. And matter of fact, there's things not working this morning because that got knocked out yesterday because everything was working up until that moment. Now, I'm making a great point to you because if everything isn't working together, we got some problems. 
And some things that ought to be working can't work because we've got disconnects in different places. So I'm challenging you this morning. Y'all are really looking happy now. I'm challenging you to get connected into this house and into this vision like you have never, ever done it before. We got something to accomplish. I'm not trying to be what everybody else is. That's not my mandate. I believe we've got a mandate to reach this harvest, to reach this community, to reach this world around us, to reach this generation, and we're going to go after it with everything that we got in us. Hello? Look at your neighbor and say, you with him? So I want you to go. I'm talking about that church. I'm going to land, I'm going to end this, this series this morning on this message. So go with me to the book of, of, of Matthew chapter 24. Jesus has made his triumphant entry into Jerusalem. He has entered the temple for the last time. He'd gone into it for the last time. He looks around and he exits. He, he has a lot of conversation with the scribes and with the Pharisees of the day. How he even says in one place in Matthew chapter 23, he said, you are nothing more but painted sepulchers and don't realize that you are full of dead men's bones. He said, you're going through all of these activities and these things you should have done, but you're neglecting things that I've ordered, that I have positioned and taken care of. I mean, he deals with them head on and deals with them straight. And then he walks out of the temple. Look what it says in verse chapter 24, verse 1. Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple and his disciples came up to him to show him the buildings of the temple. That word departed there gives us the idea. He leaves it as though I'm done with it. You have to understand, this was a very important piece of structure to Israel. It was so involved in their everyday life. All of their lives for for a Hebrew revolved around that temple as the daily sacrifice and the worship and everything that went on, on in it was happening. And Jesus walks through it. He departs out of it. And they're looking at it like this. Hey, Jesus, what did you think about everything you've seen we have built around here? Look at what Jesus replies to them. And then Jesus said unto them, Do you not see all of these things? Assuredly, I say to you that not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. Wait a minute, he asked a question. If Jesus is looking, if he's asking questions, he's not looking for information. He's asking you, he's wanting you to look at what you're seeing. I believe he's saying, do you really not see you have walked with me for three years? I have sat with you. I have told you the future. I've told you what I've come to do. And you keep looking back to the sacrifice of yesterday. Some of us are doing that even in the things of God. If we could just have another Azusa, if I could just have another of that, that's over. As much as I enjoy reading about those things, that's over. We're in a new day. We're in a new moment. We're in a new hour. And Jesus said, do you not see all of these things? I believe he was saying something like this. Do you really not see what it is all about? After all of this time, that perplexes them. And then they go with him in verse 3. Now as he said at the Mount of Olives, this is the place where Jesus when he, when he leaves the earth, where he ascends, he ascends. If I understand right, he ascends from the Mount of Olives. And the scripture also tells us he will descend in this very place as well when he returns. So then he begins to speak like this. He sat down at the Mount of Olives with his disciples, his followers. He's talking to the church, not talking to the world. He's talking to the church. Then he says... Then the disciples said to him, tell us, when will these things be? And what will, oh, I left part out. Sorry, I got to back up. After he asked the question to them, he said, I'm telling you, not one stone is going to be left on top of each other. You have to understand, this wasn't the first time the temple would be torn down. 
Matter of fact, up through history, it shows us. I think there were three or four different times that the temple was destroyed and returned. Isn't it interesting? That's the way we always are. We're always trying to rebuild something that's been destroyed. Maybe something even that God allowed to happen. We keep trying to resurrect that instead of walking in the new day of which God has given us. So then they begin to ask Jesus these questions. God, all of that's going to be torn down. They were so proud of that. They asked three questions. Tell us when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Tell us, when is this going to happen? I actually think history would show us that it was like 40 years, maybe, was it 40 or 70 years later, that that temple would literally be destroyed. He said, when are these things going to happen? And what is going to be the sign of your coming? And what is the end of the age? Now, they're, they're inquisitive because of, oh, God, we must be at the end times. Just so you'll know where we are in time, we're in the last of the last days. How do you know that? Because the last day started at Pentecost. How do you know that? Because remember what Joel said? In the last days, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, right? On the day of Pentecost, when Peter steps out, he said, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. So we are in the end of the last days. Just so that you'll know the time that we're in. So Jesus begins to answer them. He begins really to answer all their questions without dealing with one only, but he really deals with all three of them. Notice some things that he said. I don't have time to hit every verse through chapter 24 because I really want to get to the next chapter. He said, take heed that no man deceive you. Remember, they're asking, when are these things going to happen? First thing that he said, in a time when deception is going to be at an all-time high. In a moment when you can be deceived so easily. For notice what he said. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. Notice the word Christ there. He said, they'll come in my name declaring that they are the anointed. They're the Messiah. They're the ones flowing. I'm here to declare something to you, church, that I believe there is a great deception hitting the church, and we don't even realize it personally. I, I, I believe this. If you and I think that there is any other way, any other thing that's important other than Jesus, we are teetering on the steps of deception because Jesus is everything. We're chasing revival, but not Jesus. We're chasing moves, but not Jesus. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the only answer for the world. Jesus is the truth, the salvation. Jesus is deliverance. He's hope. He's healing. He's everything. The answer is Jesus. That's why we've set the core value that Jesus is the center of the place. I don't care how long we worship. If it's not centered around Jesus, we're off track. Hello? Because there's just certain things. If we do this, long, I told the team this morning, I've come, if we do this long enough, we believe God's going to move. Maybe it's not how long we do it. Maybe it's how much we believe that he's with us. And the reason it takes so long to get somewhere, it's because most of us aren't even ready to come worship Jesus. We just fall in the house. I wish this was live video today. We just fall in the house unprepared and we have to wade through your junk, wade through your mess, wade through your oppression and your depression instead of us coming ready. I have come to set my love upon Jesus, whether pastor does a good job or not, whether the team greets me or not, whether the worship is good or not. I have come to set my love upon Jesus. And I come because this is what he asked us to do. Hello? He said, don't be deceived. And then he goes on, he says, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen, guys, when all this stuff is going. He said, for many will come. And then he said, you're going to hear of wars and rumors of wars. I think we're hearing all that, right? Matter of fact, they're telling us we're on the verge of World War III. I, I believe the Bible is unfolding right before our eyes. 
Then they say nation will rise against nation. I think we're seeing that happen. And then he talks that there will be famines and pestilences and there will be earthquakes. Who would have ever thought that you'd go to Walmart in our country and we'd have empty shelves? Especially starting with toilet paper. But we're seeing the Bible unfold. And then he goes on. He said, all these are the beginning of sorrows. Now you and I really, oh, he must be talking about the great tribulation. I, I really don't know if he's talking about that or not. But if you look up one of the definitions of the word sorrow, he, can, he alludes that to birth pains. These are all the beginning. What is birth pains? It means something, a baby, a new life is going to be birthed. Something new is going to take its place into the earth. And then he goes on to say, then they're going to deliver you up into all kinds of trouble and you will be hated by all nations for my sake. Man, never has there been a time. If you take a stand in this hour for righteousness, for whatever, even if you stand with Israel right now, you become, uh, you, you become a, a, you're a hater of men. You're, you're this and you're, you're despised because you're actually trying to stand godly. This is what he said will happen. Oh, I like this part. And many are going to be offended. Boy, never has there been a time. It is so easy to get offended. I told pastor the other day, we got to have coffee finally after a month. I told him the other day, I, I said, there's one thing I think that may have happened. We got a lot of people. If we go through difficulties, we don't know how to stand. And yet the Bible said there comes a moment you just got to stand. So what are you going to do if you're not equipped and know what you're supposed to go through? Because I've learned this. He don't always answer my prayer in my time. And he don't always answer it my way. And sometimes he allows me to go through the storm and sometimes he delivers me out of it. Oh, I can't preach there. I got to keep going. And we get offended at God. I talked to a young man last night. Called me at 11 o'clock. He happened to be a little bit tipsy or drunk. But he called me and he said, what do you think? Should I, I just got these feelings. I just ought to quit. I just ought to give up. I said, dude, you've been taught better than that. You know better than that. I know what you've been taught. You've been in this thing too long. And now you just want to throw in the towel? Offend it. Then the word said they'll betray one another. Wow, people you thought were with you walk out on you in a moment. People that made a covenant with you leave you and leave you holding the bag. And then it said they will hate one another. Then look at verse 11. Then he said many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. Well, he read my mail. That don't mean anything because the witches do too. But you better know that the word they give you aligns itself with the word of God. Church, I'm not after anybody. I'm just telling you what God put in my heart to share with this body. He said, many prophets will rise and they'll deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. We've become the time, and even among the church in the world. If I feel like I want to do it, I'll do it has no restraint anywhere. The world doesn't. Lawlessness is abound. And because of that, we have to understand something. These are spirits that are working in the earth and it has an impact upon people. And you and I want to blame everybody because that happened or that happened. Sometimes it's the spirit that we have allowed to work that is taking people out. And they don't even realize it. And then Jesus said, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. You know, there comes a time that you've just got to say, I've got a made up mind. I don't care what they do. I'm going to stay close to Jesus. I'm going to praise him anyhow, Miss Judy. I'm going to stay strong. If everybody walks away, I'm going to stay strong. I'm going to stay committed to Jesus. Listen, church. To all you weenies in the house, there's a time you got to endure. I, I know I'm being strong this morning, 
There's a time you just got to endure. I got to get through this. I'm not going to fail. Me and Diane again watching a beautiful movie yesterday called, what was that called? About the young girl, the runner. Overcomer. Thank you. You must have seen it. She's a young track star in her school and her dad's blind and he's teaching her, talking to her from a headset from the hospital and he's teaching her how to, to be a, a champion at cross country and he'll tell her, listen, you got to pace yourself. Get to this moment that you pace yourself, but then you're going to reach a moment. You're going to overtake something. Hey, Hannah, you're getting ready to come to the first hill. Come on, Hannah. Give me all you got. Come on, Hannah. Push through it. I'm going to say to some of you, you're running and you're getting tired. Your legs are aching. Your muscles are burning, but it's time for you in this hour. Come on. You can make it. Don't you give up now. We're close to the finish line and we're going to go all the way. Then Jesus really turns verse 24, verse 14, because this is what he says. And you need to hear this verse. And he said, in this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations. And then will the end come. You want to know what's on the heart of God? I, I really believe this with all my heart. More than what we even talk about it. What is on the heart of God is a world out there of people that don't know him, that he's not willing that one of them should perish. So he's willing to let us go through the mess to give them an opportunity to receive him. Some of these people are your family members. Moms and dads, wake up. These are your children. This is your grandchildren. And some of you are showing up in your children and grandchildren want nothing to do with the church. But he said this gospel because it's the focus of Jesus. I really believe it's what's on his heart more than anything is that this harvest comes in and he's using us to get it. This gospel shall be preached. If you won't do it, he's got somebody that will. I remember years ago hearing a testimony of a pastor. His name was Happy Caldwell. He went to Little Rock, Arkansas. And when he went there to, to establish this church, God spoke to him one day and said, Don't think you're the first that I've asked to do this. Don't think you're the first. He said, I've asked seven others to do it, and they wouldn't do it. So I've raised up another. And when you and I won't do it, there's another one going to come up. But I believe there are things that are assigned. People are assigned to each one of us. A city has been given to us. I haven't been called to Washington. I haven't been called to Louisiana. I haven't been called to California. But I have been called to this region. And I've claimed it from St. Louis to Memphis, Springfield to Nashville, that this is what we're called to impact. Not do what everybody else is doing. Well, pastor, you ought to be a part of this movement. Well, I have been a part of those movements, and I keep coming back to where God put me. Hello, because it feels good for a moment, but I still feel empty. But he said, this gospel is going to pre be preached. And then he says this. He said, then when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet of Daniel, you got to read through all of that talking about the Antichrist that will come and take his seat upon the throne, I believe it is, of the temple. But I want you to think about this. If we would take that naturally, and I believe that naturally, but if we would take it spiritually, we could say that is happening right now. Because all over America and the nation, major denominations are ordaining homosexuals and transvestites and every, every other kind of eye and they're anointing them and putting them behind the pulpits of America to lead the body of Christ and accept it in the holy place of God. These things are already underway. Jesus said this. I, I didn't. And then he says it's going to continue to get worse and he said this in verse 24 again, and false Christ and false prophets, they're going to rise and they're going to show signs and wonders to deceive. 
If all you're doing is chasing a miracle, if all you're doing is chasing a wonder, you're on the steps of deception. Because you better be able to discern the real from the false. You better be able to know the good from the bad because he said, if possible, even the very elect will be deceived. I had a brother call me up years ago good evangelist friend of mine. We got very, very close after I'd met him. And I talked to him just practically every day, if not every other day. And I never will forget something he said to me. He was a man of prayer. I mean, he prayed all the time. He talked about how he would go to meetings, do revival meetings instead of going out to eat with the pastor after church. He said, I'd go, me and the pastor, to the basement. We'd pray for hours. It was though he prided on that. And I remember him saying to me one day, he said, while I was in prayer, God spoke to me and he said this, I'm one of his elect. And the moment he said that, I thought, dude, you are in trouble. Because pride has just gripped your life. Not thinking, but a year or so later after that, I get a call. I had him on my heart. I hadn't talked to him in days like we were. I called his, I called his home where I used it. It was before cell phones where I could get a hold of him. And his wife answered. I said, where is he? She said, he's, he's over here at this place. I said, what's going on? She said, you need to find out for him. So while he's out doing a meeting thinking he's all that in a bag of chips and beyond the pack, fact of being deceived and failing, he falls into an illicit affair that literally destroys his ministry and destroys his family. See, don't think you can't be deceived. Every one of us can. That's why it's important, church. I believe, I really believe with all my heart. I know God speaks. I believe in these guys. But you better have somebody to bounce something through you to make sure you know what God is saying. Then he goes on to say, then he said, after these things, there's going to be, there's going to be the sign of the coming of the Son of Man from the heaven. He said there's going to be signs in heaven. Then he gives us a picture. Even though, I don't have time to ever verse. I've got to get to where I want to go. I've got to do it quickly. Even though, because it's important that you catch all the 24, you'll never understand 25. Even though, even though you, may, you and I may not know the time, he said you can know the season. Because in verse 20, 32, he says, consider the parable from the fig tree. When you see its leaves, you know it's summer. When you see certain things going, you're going to know that this is the time that the Son of Man can come. Then in verse 36 through, he said, nobody knows the hour in which the Son of Man will come. And then he talked about two grinding at the meal, and one will be taking the other left. Two will be sleeping in bed. One will be taking the other left. So what's the principle? You've got to work every day like he could come today. Because you don't know. And then in verse 45, he gives us a parable again of a faithful and wise servant. Sometimes even though you don't know, you just got to stay faithful. Stay faithful to God. God honors faithfulness. Matter of fact, he talks about honoring faithful just about above everything. If you really look into the scripture, well done, good and faithful servant. Because you're faithful over the small things, I'll make you ruler over much. Boy, that's something hard to find in our days, faithfulness. Faithfulness isn't an action. It's really your character. It's really who you are. And we wonder, we question the faithfulness of God because we question the faithfulness of ourselves. You'll smile at me, okay? It's not really that bad. Now let's get to chapter 25. Remember, all these disciples have been with him for these three and a half years. And remember the message that Jesus started preaching was the gospel of the kingdom, the rule of the king. We talked last week about what the kingdom and the blessings and the benefit it brought. That was his message. I'm going to rule. I've got a place of blessing. Look at the very first verse of chapter 25, verse 1. Then, everybody say then. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be like. Then, in this moment, when all of these things are taking place, 
Now you're going to understand the kingdom because this is how it's going to function. And he speaks a parable. So what is a parable? A parable is a simple truth, a simple story used to illustrate a moral or a spiritual lesson to teach a great truth or to the hearers to challenge them to change their behaviors. So without reading all of them, I'm going to talk to you three because they're all tied together, even though each one can preach in itself. The first one is simply this. It's a parable of, of ten virgins. Oh, i got to report. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were wise, five foolish. And those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their lamps with the burnt offerings. But while the bridegroom delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight a cry was heard. Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Let's look at a couple of things in this passage. First of all, it's a wedding. Catch the picture. It's a wedding getting ready to take place. Evidently, there's been a a betrothal where one has patrolled himself or given himself to another. I I want you to be my bride. And evidently, he's gone out to build their home. According to custom and according to history, it would be nothing after, after that dowry and everything was taken care of and Jesus paid the price for the bride that, that it, wouldn't be, it wouldn't be unlikely that a year would pass before the bridegroom would come back for his bride. But there's 10 virgins. Now, are they 10 brides? I don't think so. I think there's one bride. So why is he talking about these virgins? Why 10? Why five? Why five foolish and five wise? They're the attendants that have been appointed and assigned to prepare the bride for the bridegroom coming. That's their job. They're to be waiting. They're helping her. They're helping get the bride ready. They're helping her get ready for a relationship with the bridegroom that's going to come and sweep her away into a brand new life. There's 10 of them. 10 is the number of testimony or it's the number of witness. Because I believe it's this. If you look at it like this, Remember, it's a parable. It's a story. He's illustrating something. I believe he's speaking to the church. I'm using you to be witness of me to the bride that I am coming, that I'm preparing and getting ready for her. You and I are called to be salt and light. Why why would they have a lamp of oil? Why would they have a light? Did not Jesus tell those disciples from the very beginning, you are the light of the world? Did not Jesus tell, going to tell them? He said, I'm going to endue you with power from on high. The oil is going to come and you're going to give witness of me both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth. I believe it's a great picture of the church because we got half the church that's ready. We got half the church on fire, but we've got a lot of church folks that are going, that are lukewarm. You're indifferent. You show up. You have no oil. Life is going on, and you don't realize that the day of the Lord is going to come, and you just keep living life, and you have no light shining from your life. Because if you read the story, a sound came. It's time. And they all jumped. And they began to get themselves positioned because they're going to lead the bride. They're going to lead the bride. They're either going to lead him in, the bridegroom in, or they're going to lead the bride out to meet him. But the scripture says that five of them came that were foolish. I said, wait a minute, we don't have enough oil. We don't have enough light. I believe even that's some of the foolishness of the church. God keeps telling us who we are. We still haven't figured it out that his anointing is upon us. And while we're chasing everything around the sun, trying to get oil and don't even realize you got it. But then he said, while they're out chasing, they left and the bridegroom came 
And they all began to go, and the door was shut. And they began to scream, hey, what about us? What about us? Open up to us. Let us come. And the the bridegroom say, who are you guys? Who are you guys? I don't know you, but yet they're sitting in the church every week with the oil and with the light and they're letting things grow indifferent and they're letting their lamp go out and they're letting their oil go out. Church, come on. It's time we stir ourselves because there will come a day that door will close and it will not open again. John Kilpatrick's been preaching that the day of grace is coming to a close. That we're in it. That that thing is going to close. He said, this is the kingdom. Listen, guys, you got to stir yourself. We need to get a blaze for God and realize who we are. Because we are impacting our world. Hmm. Well, let's go to the second parable. I hope this is making sense to you. Then he comes to the second parable and he said, For the kingdom of heaven is like, it's like a man traveling to a far country who called his servants to deliver to them his goods. So to one he gave five, to another two, to another one, each according to his ability, and immediately went on his journey. Then he had received five, made ten, and he received two, uh, made, uh, made four. And, but he received one, went and dug his in the ground and hid the Lord's money. Look at verse 19. And after a long time, the, the Lord of the servants came to settle the account. You've heard this story, preached it in many, many different ways. Each of you got a talent. Each of you got ability. That talent was really money. Worship team, get ready to come back for me, would you? That talent would would speak of really in that place would speak of money. But I'm not preaching to you about money. I believe there's a deeper picture in this thing. God said he has placed his treasure, his treasure in earthen vessels. Talking about us. You're a treasure unto God. The moment you were created, you were created for the purpose of God. You've got abilities beyond what you will ever know. And God is not asking anything of you beyond what he created you to do. So many times we get in competition. Why am I not doing more? Why am I not like that? Why am I not like this? Why am I not this big of pastor? Why? I don't know why. I don't know how to answer why God gave one person an incredible ability to uh, uh, play something another person can't even blow his nose in tune. We used to have a guy in our home church years ago, Honest Truth. What was his name? Oh, Brother Bradford. He would play the Hawaiian steel. He called it Hawaiian, Hawaiian something. And he played his nose. And they let this go on in our church. Seriously, he had put the microphone there in front of him, and then he had played. Can you imagine that for five minutes? Y'all want to go back to yesterday. And then it became so funny in those days that everybody would send up, would you have so-and-so sing? So all the teenagers would send pastor requests through service. Have Brother Bradford do this song. That's no joke. Farther alone. I'm here to tell you God has given us abilities. He's given us graces and he's given us gifts to touch his world and make an impact. He's not asking you to do beyond what he will equip and call you to do. I've often, I really believe that God never calls me to something that he'll not give me the ability to do it. First of all, you can't even be saved without him. Second of all, you can't live saved without him. Third of all, you can't do what he wants you to do without him. So what makes you think everything you have can be done in your own? 
But this one guy, the one that had five made 10, the one that had two made four, and, and this one came, he just decided, I'm going to hide my gift. Because I know you're a hard, you're a hard dealer. I know. And then the Lord of the house. Church, one day you're going to stand before him. You know, I had a lady recently. I think she's, I think she's 80 years old, possibly. She asked me the other day. She's at, at the restaurant. She said, I got to ask you a question. She said, is there a, a sin that God won't forgive? I said, well, the only one that I know is blaspheming of the Holy Spirit, and I don't think you've done that. But I said, there's nothing else under the sun that God said he wouldn't forgive if we trusted him and asked him. And she looked at me and said, you just made my day. Because she said, I've been worrying about things of the past. But there's going to be a day that he's going to come. And I, I, let me finish what I told her. I said, you know what? When you stand before him, you're going to think about, possibly think about those things. But if you bring them up, if they've been repented of, he's going to ask you, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? I removed those a long time ago. There's no record of them in my book. But we are going to stand before him and we're going to give an account of what we've done with our lives. Have you fulfilled that purpose to be salt and light? Have you given God your very, very best? Not what I can do, what you can do. Because your best may be a whole lot better than mine. But this man hit it. He listened to what he said. He said, I would, I, he looked at him. He said to the five or the guy that had 10, well done, good and faithful. There's that word again. Good and faithful servant. Enter into all of my goodness. To the one that had four, well done, good and faithful servant. But to the one said, God, I don't know what to do. I'm afraid. I'm this or that. He said, you ought to have tried something instead of sitting on it and hiding it. And I want to tell you, I believe that we've come into that spot. We live like this, that God puts us in the path of people to minister to them in some form or another. And we just, I'm afraid. I'm fearful. That's why I asked for that verse this week as we get into our fast that we consecrate ourselves. If we're going to reach this harvest, God, give me boldness that I don't set back no longer and I set hiding. But give me boldness to speak. Give me boldness to do. Give me boldness to share my faith to be light. And then he said to that one that refused, depart from me. Depart from me. I don't want nothing to do with you. That's harsh words. We don't want to hear those things anymore, but that's what Jesus said. Those are some of his last words. Then lastly, kind of takes us to the throne room in verse 31. And when the Son of Man comes in his glory with all of his angels, he then will sit on the throne of his glories and all nations are going to be gathered and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And then the king will say, come to those on his right hand. Come, you blessed of my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For when I was hungry, you gave me food. When I was thirsty, you gave me drink. When I was stranger, you took me in. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was sick, you visited me. When I was in prison, you came to me. Then the righteous will answer and say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and thirsty and naked? And the Lord said, when you've done it to the least of these, you've done it unto me. Notice something. This is judgment stuff. This is judgment seat. Notice he didn't talk, ask them about how much Bible they read. Notice he didn't ask them about how much they prayed. Notice he didn't ask them about how much they worshiped. Notice he didn't ask them about how much money they put in the offering plate. Notice how much he asked. He didn't ask any of the things that we think are really greatly important to God. He just asked 
He just talked about how they impacted people. How their life impacted somebody else. Now, I really believe these could possibly be and are very practical, a very practical thing. But when you look at them, what is he talking about? A thirsty man and a hungry man, a stranger, naked, sick, and in prison. Remember when Jesus was on the cross, one of the things he said? He said, I thirst. What was he saying? I'm dying. He's talking about dying men that are dying spiritually, that are dying physically, that are dying emotionally in every which way. And when he said, I'm, when I was hungry, you fed me. Yes, I believe he was talking about giving somebody a meal or whatever. But I believe it's deeper than that. I believe he's talking about those that have never heard. Those that don't know what you and I have taken for granted all of our lives. The gospel. That know about Jesus. It's hard to imagine in our world anymore, especially in conservative America, that we have people that never have heard of Jesus. You don't realize how many international students that are lying around our city now that come from Muslim, Hindu, and everything else under the sun that has never heard about Jesus. They're ignorant in a sense. They're, they're, they're lacking understanding of what real truth is. They're a stranger. Book of Ephesians, that's our book through life groups this month, and I hope that you'll go through it. One of the things that he speaks in Ephesians chapter 2, he says this to those that are followers of Christ. He said, we are no more strangers. We are no more foreigners. But we are members of the household of faith. We are no more outside of God, separated from Him. But He talked about them being naked. I have seen very few people running naked in our streets. Even our friends that are homeless, living on the road or wherever, most of them have clothes. So, what is He talking about being naked? Scripture tells us in Genesis 1. Or chapter, yeah, Genesis 1, that when God created Adam, the Bible says this about him, and they both were naked and not ashamed. But after sin entered in, Adam couldn't wait to get clothes on. Even to the point he looked for something, even if it wasn't right. He looked for a fig leaf. He looked for something to cover his nakedness. Because what he's talking about is the shame and the sinfulness that people are walking in all around us. They're naked and don't realize it. They're sick. I'm going to say it like this. They're out of order. They're out of order. They're not functioning. They're disabled, not, not in the sense of having a bad leg or whatever. They're not living up the, to the ability of which God created them. He said, when I was in prison, you came to me. They're bound, wanting somebody to set them free. I'm closing here. We got a job to do, church. We got a job to do, and it's all around us. People waiting to be freed. I'm reminded of a dream. I've told it many times, but I want to tell it again just before we came here. 26 plus years ago, in a dream one night, I was in a church in a group of my elders, and we were doing a funeral. And I never will forget, a casket was sitting like this instead of this way across the front. I had church people, leaders sitting here and leaders over here and people all around. And while I'm doing this funeral, all of a sudden, this, this casket began to move. And I thought, that's funny. And then the lid popped, started opening, an arm fell out. And this is going nuts right here while we're doing the funeral. And it was though the lid was trying to open. I remember one of my elders over here got up and tried to lay over over the casket to keep whoever it was, I can't even know who was in it, over it to keep it closed. And it was obvious he wanted out. 
And I finally said, enough, back up. Open up, open the lid. And all I know, there was a young person in it in a, like a body bag. I couldn't tell who it was, but all of a sudden he sat up and I asked the most intelligent question I could think of. Are you dead or alive? And I heard him say, I want to live. I want to live. I believe it was a picture and I woke up out of that dream because I believe it was a picture that there are people dying prematurely that want to live, but there's nobody there to give them life. And that's what you and I are called to do. Stand to your feet with me this morning. Church, I believe it's time for some of us in this room to stir ourselves to get ourselves back into the purpose of God. We've coasted long enough. We've drifted long enough. Yes, life goes on. I know you're busy. That's the term everywhere, but it's really become an excuse because everywhere you go, everybody's busy. Everybody is. It's become a term of our culture. But I believe it's time we stir ourselves. I believe that there's people in this room this morning that you're indifferent to the things of God. I believe you've gotten lukewarm. I believe you've gotten cold and indifferent from the, from the heart of God. And I believe God is saying it's time. It's time for you to stir yourself again. Get yourself ready because you and I don't know the hour, the day. I, I believe we've got a lot of years, but I don't know that. Yes, I believe there's going to be great moves of God in the planet. I believe that with all of my heart that we're going to see the greatest things we've ever seen now and the days that are ahead of us. I don't know how it's all going to unfold, but I know I just want to be a part. But I know if you're here this morning, I'm asking you to examine your heart. I'm asking this church to examine yourself. Where are you? Where are you? Are you really connected? Are you, re are you really with us? Are you like that wire up on the thing that broke last night and was hanging down that knocked out? Knocked out issues and knocked out the function of what we needed to happen. Where are you? Who has God called you? Where has he called you? More than any of that. More than any of that. Where are you at with God? Where are you at with God? Are you really after him or just still doing your own thing? I'm challenging you right now in the name of Jesus. There's people in this room, you don't know Jesus. You don't know him. You're not a follower of Jesus. And this morning, he's calling you. He's calling you to a better life. He's calling you to follow him. He's calling you to his great love. That's where you are this morning. Friend, don't leave this place. I'm going to end this service right here, but I'm not going to stop. If you need to leave, I, I release you in the name of Jesus to go. Father, bless them as they leave. Give them a great week.